guys, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, the last time we were together, we were looking at Matthew 5, <clears throat> chapter 3, and talking about this idea contained in it that, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it got us onto this conversation around humility, submission, and the idea of blessing. And today, I think we're going to start in the same place, but looking at it from a slightly different angle. There is something about being humble that lends itself to blessing when we consider what's going on in the scripture. Psalm 138 verse 6 talks about um, the, the way the Lord looks at those who are humble. It says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Proverbs tells us a little bit more about this disposition of the Lord to the humble or the lowly. He, the, the writer in Hebrew, and sorry, the writer in Proverbs uh, tells us that toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. It's Proverbs three thirty four. Proverbs goes on in twenty nine twenty three to say that one's pride will bring him low, but the one who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Jesus picks up a lot of this in Matthew in 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He picks it up in 23, 12 when he says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Both James and Peter pick those ideas up again in their material when they both quote, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5. Five. It's, it's a thing. It's a trend. It's, it's a movement of the scripture. And it's important to note, Isaiah and the rest of the prophets took great care to correct the people of Israel and Judah for pretense in their worship and in their festivals before the Lord. God was not happy with their lack of sincerity. It doesn't take much of a look at places like Isaiah 1 to see God's displeasure in the pretense of their worship and their festivals and their new moons and Sabbaths. The lack of sincerity is a serious problem. Jesus has a problem with a lot of the lack of sincerity that he sees in his own generation as he talks about those uh, individuals that exhibit that as whitewashed tombs and The outward appearance looked the part, but the inward dispositions of the heart, they weren't genuinely committed to the Lord in humility and in love. If we're going to talk about the blessing of humility, we have to begin with the idea that God will not bless a kind of humility that is based on pretense for the purposes of gaining his blessing. This isn't a, I'm going to be humble so that God will turn around and do good things for me. That kind of false humility is not what we are talking about. We're talking about a humility that's got a genuine character formation to it. God's grace and blessing rest on those who are genuinely humble and poor in spirit. This conversation about humility taps into the most most, one of the most often touched upon biblical motifs. 
throughout the Bible, people who are humble or lowly, people of uh, low status and stature, God looks on with a certain kind of favor. I think in some sense, God likes to overturn our conventions. That there's a sense that what God is is doing is always sort of countercultural. It, it always has an element to it that has an unexpectedness in it. If we look at the Bible, God chooses the unlikely. The humble, the rejected, the questionable. God's blessing rests with those that we might deem to be unblessable, as it were. He chose Jacob. I, I think this is, a, this is a primary example, so we're going to stick with it for a little while here. But he chose Jacob, the, the heel grabber. That's what the name Jacob means, the usurper. He chose Jacob instead of the firstborn Esau. Jacob deceives his father, albeit at the direction of his mother, but he deceives his father nonetheless. He swindles his brother's birthright for some soup. He works angles with Laban and generally acts for his own advantage in almost everything he does, especially early on in his life. I'm not sure that there's a single thing he does early on that we know from Jacob's storyline that is anywhere near genuinely selfless. It's all kind of self-serving. He seems to be, and this is, like I said, especially true of his early life, more of a, a weasel kind of character than anything else. However, God chose Jacob. God's work in Jacob's life and Jacob's time with Laban, I think, had some kind of humbling effect on his life, on, on him as a man. Because when he leaves Laban, he isn't the same weasel-like character he was as a young man. And maybe that's because in some sense he's met his match in the weasel category in Laban. From the, the first moment we see Laban in action in the stories of the Bible, it's, it's kind of indicative that he's, he's, he's kind of a weaselly character. And so Jacob, the, the, the weasel-like character, spending time with Laban, they, they're, they're always sort of trying to out-weasel each other, it seems. Something in him has shifted, though. He prepares to honor his brother Esau as he hears of Esau's approach. Now, to be totally fair, Jacob might be acting in fear for his own life, given his brother's threats to kill him for taking his birthright and his blessing. And you can definitely look at what Jacob does in setting all of that up as a way that Jacob's just trying to weasel his way out and escape with his life. However, I'm not entirely sure that that's what's going on. The fear might be the motivator, I'll give you that. However, the younger Jacob ran away, while the older Jacob has prepared a gift, and he bows down before his brother. He doesn't seem to be hiding from his brother any longer. Yes, he might be begging for his life, but 
but the hiding and the weaseliness doesn't seem to be there, at least not in the same way. This kind of humility before Esau seems to be overtly practical, motivated by fear, but it is still present. And that's what's interesting to me. And that, I think, is ultimately what has shifted in Jacob. Jacob, perhaps in part because of his humility before Esau, finds favor with his brother. Then I have absolutely no doubt that while God was at work in Jacob, he was also working with Esau, working on Esau, and working on Esau's forgiveness towards Jacob for his brother who had stolen so much from him. But it is still interesting to me that upon his return, Jacob having heard God's promises for provision and protection and seen the vision and dreams of God's favor toward him, chooses humility and a lowly posturing before his brother. I think the younger Jacob would have postured himself as the highly favored one. And and the, the Weasley little character that was Jacob in usurping the birthright and the blessing would have sort of lorded it over his older brother in a kind of arrogance after having had God's promises of provision and protection and seen it take shape and seen the blessing bestowed upon him as he's left Laban's house and lands. But here he chooses humility. Now, maybe that's still just the overriding fear of an older brother or something. I don't know, but, but he's chosen humility. Jesus told us that the poor in spirit are blessed and that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jacob prepared for the arrival of his brother with gifts and submission before Esau. And the night before he met with Esau, he wrestled with the unnamed figure at night. A man came and wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. That's Genesis 32, 24 and 25. Jacob was told to release his visitor. Let me go. The day is breaking. But Jacob said to him, I will not go unless you bless me. It's Genesis 32, 26. And so he was blessed by his wrestling partner. And he was told that his name would be changed to Israel, which means one who struggles with God. Genesis 32, 28. It might be where Jacob gets the idea that he wrestles with God and yet has lived. In his humility, preparing for his humble approach before his brother, the humble approach of, I'm not letting go until you bless me, this this tenacity that's there, but in a humble posturing of recognizing that this individual with whom he's wrestling is greater than himself. In his humility, Jacob receives a blessing from the figure with whom he wrestled and receives a blessing from Esau in Esau's taking him back. And on top of all of that, he then found a place to dwell in the land of his forefathers, Abraham and Isaac. I think the same is true for us. In our humility, we find blessing from the Lord. The kingdom of God is given to the humble and lowly because they know who they are before the Lord of all life and creation. And they respond to him in like manner. Jacob's story and a host of others like it in the Bible set us up to see the principle of humility and blessing laid out before us. 
My hope is that we will find some practical ways like Jacob learned with his brother Esau for submission to one another, like Ephesians 5.21 encourages when it tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. May God's grace for the humble find us. As we submit ourselves to the Lord and to one another. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Until next time. Thank you.